Look at the context. Anyway, um, as Hayley said, Christmas uh, is a lot of fun, but it can be challenging for people, very challenging. And some people don't like the season, some people like it. There's beautiful aspects to it. I mean, the, the lights in here are gorgeous. But I'm not going to focus on that. My friends are very relieved to hear that because of my opinions. So I'm not, not going there, I promise. Um, what I want to do is look at the reality of Christmas and some of the key characters that were involved. So we'll start off with the place. Obviously, the beautiful Israel. <clears throat> at that time, it was completely dominated and occupied by Romans. Uh, the Romans were not known for their kindness. They were often soldiers who had been conscripted from various countries. You know, they would come in, overtake your country, you're in the army, go. You know, so they, they were not necessarily uh, well-trained, except to do one thing, which is kill. Deal with people. Brutally. Not sure, watch the film Gladiator, if you can. I like it, but some people don't. Anyway, it's an occupied territory, it's an occupied land by the Romans. And a few years after Messiah went back to his father, probably about 30-odd years, 40 years later, the city was completely and utterly destroyed in a very gruesome way. Um, so the Romans were in charge. And Caesar Augustus, a minor character, at the time he was considered emperor of the entire world, but in the story, is in the reality, he was a minor character because he, he decided that everybody should be registered. So can you imagine the disruption of what that entailed, that everybody had to go to their birth city, the city that they were from originally. Imagine that happening now in Australia if you all had to trip back to wherever you were born. Um, it's ridiculous, but at that time, they just had to do it. That was the instruction, go. So they went. Now, let's look at the characters. That's just the, the background and the reality of life in Israel at the time. <clears throat> Key character, Joseph, a remarkable man. He's of the line of David, as was Mary. And the Bible says he was a just and upright man. And he had plans. He had really good plans. He was going to marry this beautiful young lady and probably live happily ever after and have a normal life like everybody else in the village of Nazareth. But God sends the angel to Mary, tells her she's going to become pregnant. And somehow Mary has to... Can you imagine what it was like for her to tell Joseph. To them, to, to Joseph, it was an absolute disgrace. He was betrayed. This woman he loved and was looking forward to be married to. They were betrothed. It was like marriage without the parts of marriage that come later. And he was, he must have been absolutely devastated. But being a just and upright man, he decided he'd put her away privately so it wouldn't be, you know, Everybody wouldn't know. Wouldn't know. But God sent an angel and told Joseph, it's okay. This is going to be the Messiah of Israel. Joseph listened. For me, that's one of the hardest parts in life, is actually listening to God. But thankfully, Joseph listened. And equally importantly, he obeyed. So he took his wife, he accepted this. Can you imagine the responsibility of being told, you are going to look after 
the king of Israel. That's how it's presented to him, the Messiah, the king of Israel. They're expecting the Messiah to deal with all the issues, get rid of Rome, set up his kingdom on earth right then. That's what the, that's what the word says, that Messiah is going to set up his kingdom, and he is. But it just wasn't then. But imagine the responsibility of that. But he was obedient. He could have said, no, this is too scary, I can't do that. No, no, no way, not me. But he didn't. He was obedient, and he submitted to God's plan, and he dropped his own plan. We all have plans. And it's fun when God says, no, that's not my plan. Do this. I've experienced that recently. So we move to Mary. <clears throat> what an amazing young lady this is. She gets the message from Gabriel, like top angel. This isn't one of your ordinary angels. This is Gabriel. He was the one that went to Daniel and gave him the revelation of what's going to happen in the near future. He says to her, rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Now that greeting would terrify everybody, I would imagine. Then he says, you are going to bear the son of the highest, and God will give him the throne of David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will have no end. The focus is on kingdom, ruling, throne. Her response is amazing. Behold, the maidservant of the Lord, be it to me according to your word. That must not have been an easy thing to say. But she did it. Her plans, her hopes for marriage to Joseph in the community that she's grown up in were ruined. She's pregnant. If people find out, which of course they did, she would be shamed for a long time. And she was. That's, that's an issue that we don't often think about, that she would have borne that shame for a long time. There's reference to when the Pharisees are talking to Messiah that he, they made reference to the fact that he didn't know who his father was, which is hilarious when you're the son of God, but his, he didn't, apparently appeared not to know who his physical father was. Anyway, again, Mary's character is obedience. She's got a servant's heart. And she's, she, when she was to see Elizabeth, she, she just declares this amazing song which will appear on there any second now. It's known as the Song of Mary. And if you look at this, and I'll just, I'll just go through it quickly. <clears throat> no, I won't go through it quickly. Let's just do it. My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. For he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. For behold, henceforth, all generations shall call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy is upon those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He's filled the hungry with good things, but the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his seed forever. All of that is in the Old Testament. Every statement she made there is in the Old Testament. This is a, a young lady that knew her Bible. She knew her scriptures because she just immediately quotes them. I hope when such a, 
any traumatic event comes to me, I hope that the first thing out of my mouth is his word. Not my feelings, not my fears, but his word. This is an amazing young lady. And when you consider that educating girls was not normal, you may have seen the film Yentl. It's hilarious, but there's, there's a good point in it that women were not educated. So how did this young girl know all those scriptures? I've no idea. But she did. She knew the word of God. She knew, the, she knew God. God has picked these two ordinary people for a truly unique situation. Can you imagine looking through all of eternity and looking at all the human beings and thinking, aha, I'll get him. Aha, I'll pick her. Amazing. The interesting thing is, he's picked you. He's picked you. Because we often think, you know, I chose Jesus. You didn't. He chose you. You just had the good sense to say yes. It's true, isn't it? So, she's also a righteous person. As soon as it was required, she did all the things that good Jewish families do. The baby is circumcised at the eighth day, because he's Jewish. And she goes for purification on the 40th day. We'll get to that in a second, what happened on the 40th day. So this is, this is a godly family. They were righteous according to the law of Moses, which means they were righteous according to God. And we're not going into the law and grace discussion, because this is just what the word says. Okay, let's look at another couple of characters. Understated characters again, shepherds. This is in Luke 2. They're in the fields near Bethlehem. It's interesting to notice that in the fields near Bethlehem would be where David had been before he got the call to be the king of Israel. Interesting connection there, isn't it? So these are shepherds. Imagine the scene. I mean, we, we, we have all these sort of pantomime almost images of it because, you know, of, of, of school things. I was a teacher, so I was responsible for it as well. You know, we have these little kids dressed up as shepherds. And there's a gorgeous one over there that was a shepherd the other day. Um, but these, these are working men. And imagine, you're just there quietly minding the sheep, hoping that nobody's going to be a problem, it's going to be a nice night, and an angel of the Lord appears, and the glory of the Lord shone all around them. That would be scary. Every time you hear mention of angels in the Bible, people are like flat on their face, terrified. These, these must be incredible to see. So... They get the, the little message, you know, good tidings of great joy. The Savior, the Messiah, the Lord is born. The Savior, Messiah, he's born. Yeah. This is, they've been waiting for this for centuries. I mean, it's mentioned in Genesis, you know, right in the Garden of Eden, it's mentioned that the Savior's coming. It, readiness for the, what Adam and Eve did. And suddenly they get a multitude, a multitude, not a handful, a multitude of heavenly hosts. Praising God and saying what they said. Can you actually imagine what that was like? I cannot visualize. I cannot get my imagination out. It's better than anything Hollywood could ever do. Imagine a multitude of angelic beings. It could just it might have been those characters that are in Revelation that we really wonder what they look like. Who knows? But there was a multitude of them. And the response of the shepherds is interesting. 
they immediately race off to Bethlehem to find this baby. Now, how did they know where to go? And you might be thinking, well, they were in a, you know, they were in a, they were in a cave, um, you know, a structure, probably a cave, that was a ma- that had a manger in it. So you think, oh well, that, that's easy. It no, wouldn't have been. There would have been loads of places where people kept animals. It wasn't just the one and only manger in the whole town. So they find them, which I think is very good. And the next thing they do, they scatter to make it known. What have we been reminded of today? Make it known. Tell people. Tell people about this amazing God, about this incredible God that intervenes in human life, in human history. I was thinking about it. Why did he go to shepherds? Why did the angel and the multitude go to shepherds? What's special about shepherds? They're just ordinary guys doing a job. But think about it. It's probably David's field, so there's another connection to David. We've already had the throne of David, the town of David, and David the shepherd. The other thing that I thought about, and this is just my speculation, is he's the Lamb of God. This baby, this tiny little baby, is the Lamb of God who is going to take away the sins of the world. It could be a reference to that. Or it could be a reference to the fact that he's our good shepherd. And as Sharon's already reminded us, he looks after us. He is capable of looking after us. That was a good word. He is very capable of looking after us. We're medium at looking after us. So though, he's brilliant. So Mary observes all this, and I think this is a very interesting point. It says, Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. And I thought to myself, is this Mary's secret? Is this one of the reasons she was picked? Because she actually pondered it in her heart. And I thought, then, how does this relate to me? How does this relate to us? We're told to do that. Philippians, it says, meditate. Think on the true, the lovely. That's scripture. It tells us, meditate. Don't look at the problem. Meditate on the solution. Jesus. Meditate on what God says, not what everybody else is telling you, not what the news is telling you, not what your mind is telling you, not what the enemy might be whispering to you. Don't meditate on that rubbish. Meditate on the fact that God said this. God said this. Mary knew the word. She knew what to say when the the traumatic event happened because she had meditated. In Revelation, Romans 12, it says... Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We are transformed from just being an ordinary human being by the new birth, but then that's the start, that's being born like the baby, it's being born, but then we have to deal with this thing. Depending on how old you are when you were born again, You could have many years, I've got probably 30-something years of being a scoundrel to get over. You've got to get that rubbish out of your mind. You've got to get that way of thinking out of your mind. I was an only child. I don't like talking about me because it's boring. But I was an only child, and I had no father initially. Well, I had one, but, you know, he died. (laughs) Obviously, I wasn't a virgin birth. (laughs) (laughs) I know you think I'm special. (laughs) No. Anyway, my natural father died, so I didn't have a father for a while. So it was just me and my mum, and it was tough. And I, didn't, I wasn't blessed with brothers and sisters. 
And everybody with brothers and sisters is saying, you're lucky. Anyway, so I didn't have brothers and sisters. It wasn't through my mum's choice. It was just unfortunate. Made miscarriages and, and then I came along. Anyway, so my mum decided the best, the best education she could give me was to be independent. You're on your own. When I've gone, it's just you. You've got to learn to look after yourself. You've got to be able to do this. You've got to be able to do that. And she was doing the best thing she could. She was trying to make me be strong. It's taken a long time to get that thinking out of my system, that I have to be strong. I don't. I have to be strong in this. That's the only place I've got to be strong. I've got to be strong saying, no, the word says this. Yes, I have got symptoms, but the word says this. Yes, I might have a need, but this is the truth. The situation is not usually the truth. So, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. But the rest of it says that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Um, Liz lent me a book, which I've just given back to Will because we're moving house and it could end up anywhere, literally anywhere. Jenny knows. (laughs) The good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Sometimes good, we think, is an achievement. When we've done the right thing, sometimes, oh, thank goodness, yeah, I made the right choice there. It's not enough. God wants perfect. And the only way we're going to make perfect choices is by having our minds renewed by what God says and trusting him to give us the wisdom and the ability to do what he said to do. And guess what? He does give you the ability and the wisdom when you actually stop panicking, listen, and he'll tell you. It works, believe me. He's worked with me this week greatly. So, if God does dare to answer your plans, alter your plans, which he has in my life very recently, if he alters your plans, are you going to be, but I want to do this? And God's saying, no, this. The gentle voice that says, no, this is what I want you to do. Are we going to be like Joseph and Mary? I pray that we are. I pray that I will be. And I hope you will be. I just want to look quickly at two, a couple more characters. Uh, three lots, sorry. There's a guy called Simeon. He's in Luke 2, verse 25. And we'll be looking at a scripture about him in a minute. Moment. The, the word says he was a just and devout man. That's all it says. He only gets this one mention. I've looked up Simeon, and I don't think the next Simeon that's mentioned is him. The next Simeon's in Acts. And I get the feeling this man was uh, on the verge of leaving. And it says he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. He was waiting because he knew the word. He knew that God was going to intervene. He knew what God had said about Israel's destiny. He knew it. And he was waiting. And God had spoken to him. We often think God only speaks to us because we've got the Holy Spirit within us. But no, God managed to speak to him too. He had the Holy Spirit upon him. And he was told he would not see death until he saw the Lord's Messiah. I think that's so beautiful that this man wanted to see the Messiah before he died. 
I've had a phase where I've just said to Father, I want to see Yeshua now. I don't want to wait to be dead or raptured, whichever comes first. I don't want my first sight of him to be then, which I am definitely looking forward to. And I know I can see his face here. I know that. He's all over this book, throughout it. But I am eager to see his face before I go. And then when I read this about Simeon, that he want, he, 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 God said, you will see him before you die. I thought, wow, that's what I want. I just want to see that face, those eyes, that smile. I don't want to see his frown. <laughs> this man was hungry. He was eager to see Messiah. And how does he respond? He responds with, I'll read it, I'll find it. You notice how your Bible goes in the wrong place when you're uh, up here? Mary and Joseph happened to come in, and Simeon happened to be there. A coincidence, perhaps. And he takes the baby in his arms and blesses God. Imagine what the moment's like. And he says, Lord... Now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. According to your word. Simeon got a word from God and he hung on to that word. He didn't regard the circumstances. He may well have mentioned to God, look God, time's going by. I've had that conversation where I said, you've given me promises 30 years ago. I'm very young on the inside, but the outside's definitely not looking as young as it should. But Simeon, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. Can't comment. It's just incredible. And then what Simeon added is, is very stark now. He says to Mary, he blesses them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign which will be spoken against. Yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul. So you're there with the baby. This could have been at the 40-day period when she went in for purification, or it could have been the eighth day when he went in for his circumcision. You've got this tiny little baby, and you're being told that this Messiah, this king, is going to be spoken against. People didn't receive his message. People were unspeakably, revoltingly horrible to him. Remember when he went to, to Jairus' house to heal the daughter, to raise the daughter from the dead and heal her, obviously? And they laughed at him. They mocked him. They scorned him. Ha! She's dead! He, he wasn't phased by what they said because he knew what God said. Yeah. Can you imagine Mary, then? A sword will pierce your soul. This woman is wonderful. 
And of course, she was there at the foot of the cross. Well, when you say foot of the cross, it would have been like that. You know, she would have been that close. And it wouldn't have looked like that, which is nice. So, Mary was told she was highly favoured. The highly favoured thing sounds good, but the reality is she would have had a challenging life bringing up this child, protecting this child, loving this child, educating this child, having to flee from Israel and go to Egypt. They're from a small village in Nazareth, the north. They've travelled down to Jerusalem, a pretty challenging journey when you're pregnant, I presume. And then a few days later, they get the message, leave Bethlehem, go now. Just as well, because you know what Herod uh, commanded. So the shocking and awful news. A favoured life, which is what we've got. We, we live under God's favour. But a favoured life is not an easy life, necessarily. It has wonderful moments. It has great joy. We have peace. We have opportunities that unsaved people don't have because we've got the connection. But it doesn't guarantee an easy life. So when things get tough and you're thinking, how could this happen? It's life. But God's always with us. God's there to support us, to encourage us, to lift us up, to take us, take us on to better things. From glory to glory is our heritage. So, next character. We're nearly there. Anna. This is, this is phenomenal. This woman. It's very difficult to work how old she was, and I'm not going to go into that. But this woman served God with fasting and praying night and day. I was tempted to say something, which I think I'll, 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 I'll go into the temptation, and you can stone me later. If we took this lady's example seriously, fasting, what a thought, and praying, I suspect Pastor Gary would pass out with delight if we showed up at a prayer meeting. I include myself in that gentle rebuke. He's going to give me $50 later. <laughs> no, he's not nodding. <laughs> but because this woman was there fasting and praying, she happened to be there. And so she also gets to see the Messiah. And she gives thanks to the Lord. And what does she do? She speaks of him. She goes and tells other people, he's here, the Messiah's here. Isn't it wonderful? And she tells the people who are looking for redemption in Israel. She, got, she talks to people who are eager. They want the Messiah. They want this future. They want yeah. this hope. Yeah. And he's coming again. He is definitely coming again. Very soon. Maybe we'll talk about that another day. Because it's tempting to go into that, but it won't. He is going to appear. It says in Hebrews 9, verse 28. He is going to appear for those who eagerly wait for him. If you're not eagerly waiting for him, I have no idea what that means. But I'm eagerly waiting for him. I don't know what it means to those who are not eagerly waiting for him, but it's good to be eagerly waiting for him because he's coming back. That's so exciting. Okay, finish with the wise men. These are people that all sorts of Interesting myths, speculations, etc. are on. You know, people have given them names. Um, people speculate that they came probably from Babylon, where um, Daniel was, and he was with the, uh, the 
He was amongst the wise men, so who knows? That might have been their origin. Anyway, they're from the east. They would have traveled a long way. It wouldn't have, day, wouldn't have been a short trip. I know somebody that's driving up to Cooper Pedy. That's a challenging trip, I believe. These guys came a lot further because they were coming to worship the king of Israel. They bring three gifts. Gold. This signifies a king. So they knew they were coming to see a king, so they bring gold. They bring frankincense. I've often thought, frankincense? Okay, it's a nice perfume. It's great in a diffuser. Frankincense was used in temple worship. So Mary and Joseph would have known about frankincense. And frankincense speaks of our great high priest. It refers to that Messiah's role as our high priest. Even now, thank God, he's praying for us. Amazing. Myrrh, the one that Mary would not wanted to have received, was the one that's used for embalming bodies, which speaks of his death. So there he is, the baby. The gold, you're a king. Frankincense, high priest, mare, you're going to die. A gruesome death for us. I was thinking about what's this got to do with us, really? Oh, sorry, skip back a moment. The gold, the frankincense in mare. Gold, I mean, if somebody came with... um, A handful of gold, you'd be thrilled to bits because that's worth a lot of money. Imagine if they came with a chest full of gold. You would be delighted beyond measure, especially at this time of year when people are suggesting you should get better presents than you got last year. (laughs) Or you're competing with the in-laws, you've got to do better. Imagine that. These are guys that come a long way. They come to see a king. So they're not going to bring, you know, a ring amount of gold. They're not going to bring that little piddly bit of gold. They're going to be bringing possibly a casket, a case of gold. And I looked into this. I thought, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And when I looked into it, frankincense was worth a lot more than gold. And myrrh was worth a lot more than frankincense. So the gold, frankincense, and myrrh was worth a huge amount of money. So we often think of, you know, people have this image of Jesus. You know, it's some of these films you see. He's got raggedy hair. Clothes look a bit average. It's a tassy. No way. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. It's estimated that this was millions in today's money. You may have heard of Peter Daniels, a Christian businessman. Um, he um, employed people to look into this and study this and work out you know, approximately what, what, what this would be worth. And the estimates are, are amazing. You can Google it. It goes minimum three, three million. Three million to 34 those are the estimates from different people. I thought, wow. So that gets rid of the myth about um, poverty, the, the uh, poverty preaching that, that has gone on in the past. And I thought, that's typical God, isn't it? It just doesn't give you a bit to get by. He gives abundantly. Our God is abundant. Yeah. And when, when we were encouraged before to give, it's, it's brilliant. The more you give, the more you get. Because you can never outgive God. If you're giving to God, he's going to give you more back because he can't not because God is the giver. He will always exceed whatever you could possibly give him. 
when you're doing it with the, the right motive. So God provided this massive amount of money just as well because shortly they're told, okay, leave, you're going to Egypt. So they left everything, but they had money to go with. That's God. That's our God. If he asks you to do something, he'll bless you abundantly when you do it. You're not necessarily going to get a pot of gold instantly, but your pot of gold, your equivalent to a pot of gold is coming. If you're believing God for something and you're persisting with it and going with it and it's, it's something he spoke to you about, it's going to come because God is faithful. There's only two characters left I want to mention. One, God the Father. Not often thought about in this passage, in a sense, but he provides because he is faithful and his love is immense. He loves you, that person you see in the mirror. He adores, absolutely adores you. You to him are extremely precious and valuable and gorgeous. I don't look in the mirror much for obvious reasons, but if I did, I would say, that is somebody worth a lot. You're worth the cost of Messiah's life. Individuals are precious. You've got, you've got examples in this, in this episode. You've got the shepherds, let's face it, not top of the list of being invited to Herod's palace. You've got Simeon. You've got Anna. You've got Mary and Joseph. Basically, ordinary people somewhat similar to us. We're not in Canberra. We're not in Washington. We're not in any key positions of power, theoretically. But in reality, we are. Because prayer is extremely powerful. God's character shines through all of this. But let's consider the character of Yeshua. He's the creator. If you read Proverbs chapter 8, which is one of the most beautiful passages in the Bible, I think, it talks about how he was involved in the creation of the world and his delight in this creation. Can you imagine the creator of the world coming back to be a mere human? Because he was born a mere human. He wasn't born with supernatural powers. He was a man. He's still called the son of man. Can you imagine divine becoming mortal? Divine, mortal. Can you imagine... You becoming an ant to save ants. Because that's the nearest equivalent I can get to of thinking what it must have been like for him who lived in glory and purity and holiness and was worshipped and glorified night and day to come to the earth. But he did it because he loves you. You are very precious. And whatever you do at Christmas is your business. As I promised my friends, I'm not going into that. But whatever you do, keep in focus with all the parties and the presents, which are all nice. I love getting presents. I love giving presents even more. But with all that, it does not compare to the gift that we have been given. Yeah. Jesus. Yeah, Messiah in us, the hope of glory. Yeah. I sincerely pray that you will enjoy this Christmas, him above all else. And that the best present you could get will be to have more of him, to know him better, to hear his voice more clearly, and to tell others how wonderful he is. Thank you.